Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. A lot can happen in a year. Trends, debuts, world-altering events, and pop culture and film is there to reflect it all back to us generations down the line. Welcome to the A Year in Film podcast, presented by Hollywood Suite. I'm your host, Becky Shrimpton, and today I'm joined by film and content specialist Cam Maitland and writer and podcaster Nicole Perkins. 1999 is a bonkers year for beloved rom-coms. If you look at the releases, there's something for everyone. You want edgy teens in love? Have some She's All That and 10 Things I Hate About You. Playful Drew Barrymore? Why, she's never been kissed. Watch Sandra Bullock Mac Ben Affleck in Forces of Nature. And if you just need a change of pace from the infinite rewatch loop of Pretty Woman, have both Julia Roberts and Richard Gere in Runaway Bride and Julia Roberts and Hugh Grant in Notting Hill. Now, these movies are all fine and they stick the landing reasonably well. But one of the things The Wood and The Best Man do, in my opinion, so much better than anything else on that list, is they combine romance and comedy But they're also thoughtful and straight up sexy as hell, which is a very hard thing to do in the genre. Now, before we get into two of my favorites, and Nicole, I know they are two of yours. What do you need in a rom-com to make your heart flutter and your funny bone tickle? Oh, boy. Um, So it has to be funny. And by funny, I don't just mean pranks (laughs) and toilet humor and like showing people vomiting after a night out or Which something like that. Which does happen in one of these movies. But. <laughs> um, but it needs to be like, it needs to show that the friendships, you know, between everyone, like they actually know each other and have like inside jokes and there's some camaraderie between the people. Um, the comedy needs to just, I don't know, it needs to be both sweet and silly um and then the romance element has to be there has to be some sexiness like there there are adults here who are sexually active and i would like to see some of that i think rom-coms uh i think people don't realize how chaste most rom-coms actually are um where you know the whole point is like there's all these hijinks and at the end we finally get the kiss sometimes um or something like that which is fine that that serves you know it's it's okay but you know i am i run a little hot so i like to see (laughs) i I like to see people kissing i like to see more of the tension that that uh, happens between people as they're getting to know each other that kind of thing and i think both the wood and the best man have that, you know, the wood has a lot of those coming of age, awkward adolescent moments where there's, you know, you're you're just running on pure hormones. And then the best man has this kind of like, okay, we're going to, are we going to do it? Or like here two people, maybe we shouldn't be this close together, but also it's kind of hot, you know, we'll get into it, but it opens with Sanaa Latham and um, Tay Diggs in a bathtub nude. And I'm just like, you know, your audience. Thank you very much. (laughs) 
That's what I'm here for. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned that because I wonder if there's a bit of a Austonian quality of we just want to watch people like intellectually banter and stuff that people try to click into that works in some respects. But I don't want that all the time. As an adult, I want to see people fuck, quite frankly. Yeah. Like I want that adult element of intimacy to be in these relationships. Otherwise, I'd watch teen movies nonstop. Mm-hmm. I am not an Austin fan, and part, (laughs) and I know that it's like blasphemous, but part of that is because I find the banter. I think when people try to create that, you know, Austin banter, it veers mean, Mm, and um, it's it's too much enemies to lovers Mm. for me, which is not really one of my favorite tropes at all. Um, So that's kind of why I get a little turned off, and then also. When I want banter, I don't know, maybe this is just me being an old woman, (laughs) but I like um, Hitchcockian, Mm. um, those old school, um, you know, golden Hollywood kind of banters where the zings, I mean, they're just really like, I know you so I can say this kind of banter going on. it makes sense. It's just, you know, yeah. yeah, you know the the Hepburns and and um, his girl that Friday, kind of that kind of stuff. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I like that kind of thing, and I don't think the rom coms, as great as they are, of the '90s and early aughts, really had that. I mean, I love the rom coms from that time. Please don't get me <laughs> wrong, but I think some of the banter. Um, it just it just didn't hit for me all the times and all the in all the ways that I guess it should, it should. One thing I always point out as somebody that picks through a lot of these movies and doing the history, a lot of them are written by men too. Like a lot more than yes. you would think are written by men and I think that that yeah, only only now ish are we getting like regularly written by women romantic comedies and I think that that involves both the sexuality and the banter kind of not, you know, not being as pleasing to a woman's ear, you know, it's, it's made by men. Which is why I think for me, my, my favorite is when Harry met Sally. Yes. And I really feel like it just captures the way men nag <laughs> and the way women respond yeah. to it. And it shows that, you know, the nagging actually is not yeah, great. Yeah. And there are other ways of moving, uh, you know, getting connected with someone. I don't know. But I think those are things also that we see in both The Wood and The Best Man is that banter that is not, they're both written by men, mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah. But but still, there's such an ear for the way women talk and will respond to men in both of those movies. And I, I love them so much. I'm glad you brought up uh, When Harry Met Sally because, number one, I love that movie and watch it on like a triannual basis, like probably <laughs> three or four times a year because it's the greatest. Um, but it's also such a perfect example of chemistry. I mean, Meg Ryan is gorgeous and stunning and she's quirky and, you know, everything you want in your perfect female lead for one of those films. Um, but Billy Crystal isn't. You know what I mean? Like, he's a very attractive man for just, like, every day, but he's not a super hunk. And I actually said this to my partner the other day when my uh, when one of my friends was over, because we were both saying how attractive he is in that movie. He's very sexy. And he was like, he's not. He's not attractive. And I, we were like, as two mostly heterosexual women, we are telling you right now, he is very attractive in that movie. And it's because of the chemistry he has with her that you want to see them get together. And so many rom-coms put together people who are very attractive people, but they're dead fish when you combine the two of them. 
And yes. this, both of these films we're going to look at today not only have incredible combinations of um, chemistry between the two leads that you want to get together, there's incredible chemistry between everybody. Like it's this wild electric thing that makes you just want to root for everybody. Everybody feels like they've been friends for decades. Mm-hmm, exactly. And then there's also acknowledgement within each movie that the characters are attractive. Yeah. And sometimes in um, the more mainstream or popular romances, people are just kind of like, oh, I don't know why anybody likes me. You know, that <laughs> yeah. kind of thing. Oh my God, like, she's wearing glasses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, no, I, in in The Best Man especially, I think, but, um, you know, The Best Man in the Wood, they both have these characters who are like, no, I'm successful. Yeah. I look good. You would be lucky. You would be, mm-hmm. you know, honored to have me in your life, and therefore you should like work to to earn me. Mm-hmm. Kind of. I mean, you know, it's not as explicit as that, but there's like this little, like there are these little pops in there sure. for for both. They're of aspirational. Them. All right. Well, let's get into our first movie because our first movie today starred, as a Washington Post review put it, a glamorous, all gorgeous cast, but noted that it had no named stars, which could hurt it at the box office. Well, the weekend it was released, it came in number one, beating out two other rom-coms and Scorsese's Bringing Out the Dead. And looking back, it's hard to imagine a time when names like Tay Diggs, Nia Long, Morris Chestnut, Sanaa Lathan, Harold Perrineau, Terrence Howard, and of course, Regina Hall weren't instantly recognizable names that could draw a crowd. Now, since its release, The Best Man has garnered a sequel, The Best Man Holiday, and a limited series coming to Peacock later in 2022. I'm not being paid by Peacock, but I will go watch it. It's clearly a story that resonates and endures. So let's get into that story. Nicole, do you want to give us a very brief plot summary on this one? It's complicated. I believe in you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. um, So, the best man. Tay Diggs is Harper. Nia Long is Jordan. Morris Chestnut is Lance. Harold Perrineau is Julian, that they call Merch. And then we have Terrence Howard as Quentin. Tay, see, I was going to call him Tay again. Harper is in a relationship with Robin, as played by Sanai Lathan, and he has to go to a wedding. Uh, His best friend Lance is getting married to um, Mia, and they haven't, you know, they haven't really seen each other for a long time. Harper's writing a book, and the book is vaguely like barely <laughs> disguising everybody you know all of his all of his friendships and so there are hijinks as the guys get together and there's a bachelor party where we see the incredible regina um hall for the first time as a stripper named candy and I don't, it's just like harper hasn't shown anybody the book And so everyone's trying to figure out why haven't you shown us the book? And then they do figure out why he hasn't shown them the book. He hasn't let anyone read it. And it just causes uh, a lot of drama and friendships are torn apart and repaired. There are some uh, wacky matches that happen (laughs) (laughs) with some kind of like different opposites attract Uh kind of people, uh, things going on, but it's so fun and it's so grown. And it is um, one of the things that I love about the best man is that it showed this like, um, you know, middle-class upper middle-class section of black people who were still trying to figure some things out in their careers and in their love, in their love lives, but they were not like, it wasn't a sad movie. Mm-hmm. I should say, I don't, you know, it, it didn't um, 
you know, it was kind of an escape from the real world while also still being anchored in um, very real things. So this was written by Malcolm D. Lee, who is, in fact, related to Spike Lee. It's his cousin. And Spike Lee was one of the executive producers of this film. He was deliberately trying to make a film about um, upper middle class African-Americans, which you're starting to see as a trend at this time, starting with movies like Soul Food. Uh, Stella got her groove back is the year before before this, which also gave us gorgeous Tay Diggs with a very weird accent. Um, like <laughs> you're, you're starting to see this happen. And then I, we've talked about on the show before about this all sort of disappears in like the early aughts, unfortunately, and ends up sort of relegated into like the Tyler Perry sort of world where you got to go watch those movies. And it's not as mainstream, unfortunately. But we have such a great run of these movies right at this time in like 92 up until like 2001, kind of ending with Love and Basketball. I, I think it's what we what you talked about actually introducing this film is is what you're seeing the like rude <laughs> voice of Hollywood because it's wild to me. I, I read that article that you put up from the, was it Washington post where they're like, this movie has no stars. And even me, I mean, I, I was growing up at the time I was in grade, whatever, you know, high school. I was like, Nia, Nia Long's a star. Like, like she was in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and like, After, I think and 95 was when she ended her run there. And that oh, was yeah. enormous. And I, I just think that number one, you're seeing the massive split between TV and movies still. Cause a lot of these people, led tv shows <laughs> like many of these characters melissa d'souza was like in that valley of the doll show like but so that's weird to me that all these characters ha had been the leads in movies for sure uh and then the other thing is that weird um thing that i think we'll probably talk more about this this idea which is wrong that uh black films can't play internationally so as more and more international uh, box office starts to matter in 1999, as we learn. Uh, it, it They start being <laughs> super rude to these people, in spite of the fact that, you know, the same year you have something like Life, which I think does quite well and becomes one of the highest grossing uh, black films at the time. Uh, but at the time, it's also interesting because, yeah, they just... Hollywood didn't know what to do. They still were, you know, entirely run by white executives. Uh, and, like, the highest grossing black film at the time was The Nutty Professor. So it's like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I am always surprised when white people talk to me about The Best Man because it was such... Um, a community thing. Mm -hmm. um, Hollywood is always surprised when black films do well because yeah. we we knew those people. We knew Nia Long. We knew uh, Morris Chestnut. We knew everybody uh, in that cast at the time uh, from different things, like you were mm -hmm. saying. And it's just like for someone to say, no one knows who these people are. It's like no, that's crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> these are all box yes. office draws for us. Oh Thank yeah, you. and I yeah. also yes. The other thing I want to point out is that article is like you know it's opening against all these. Uh, to, to, to tell you, Nicole, we, we talk a lot about like the coming and going of black film and and when Hollywood supports it and when it pulls the support away. And like one thing they they talked about is in 1973 they stopped kind of the black exploitation kind of dies partially because they're like, well, black people are going to The Exorcist, so we don't need to make movies for black people. We just need to market uh, movies to black people. Uh, but I think you kind of see uh, the same thing here, where like when they say the other rom-coms that were out it was two movies that you would no one has ever heard of ever again three to tango and crazy in alabama <laughs> it's like those two movies don't exist and they're poorly reviewed and they're bad and the truth is it's like black people went to the exorcist because the exorcist is like one of the best movies of all time white people went to the best man because the best man was the best romantic comedy in theaters like this crossover right. exists when you make a great movie 
<laughs> and it does not matter, you know, <laughs> who is starring in it. And, and white people watch The Prince, Prince of Bel-Air and know Neil Long. We've been sitting through Neil Long movies for a decade. Like, she is a charming and sexy woman. <laughs> exactly. It was, it was just really strange. And I, I recently saw this clip where Eddie Murphy is talking about the response to Boomerang mm, yeah. and the criticism that he received um, to Boomerang because... Uh, someone was like, well, this is unrealistic. There are no white people in, oh, yeah. in this movie. Yeah. And he works at a black company. Yeah. Um, you know, he's an executive position in a, at a black company. And, um, you know, and there there are white people in the movie, but they are like retail workers or something like that, right? And so um, it's always interesting to see the people who can't fathom that <laughs> black people have a world where where yeah. we exist in that in that way you know and where we have a world where we don't see white people except for when they're retail workers <laughs> um and so then they say this that's not realistic but it, it actually really yeah. is and there are a lot of black owned companies with black executive <laughs> leaderships out there uh, the company that he worked for was kind of like a a spoof of um, like ebony mm -hmm. fashion fair makeup company that, you know, um, still exists or has come back around a, a little bit now. But anyway, it exists. And if you don't know those things, if you're not sure, all you have to do is ask. All you have to do is do a little research yeah. to find out. And then, you know, you won't look so foolish 20 years later <laughs> when someone pulls up. Well, I mean, <laughs> people are still review. pulling that shit, right? Like the turning red thing where somewhere that was that thing that exploded about the guy who said this is made for this woman and her family and yeah. that's it. And I'm like, that was one of the greatest films I saw this year. Yeah. <laughs> like it was, yeah, very relatable. Yeah. So it's interesting to see those points of view. Now, uh, Nicole, you mentioned that this was... Um, a big for you. How did you first encounter this film and how, uh, like, how has it kind of grown with you? So, 99, I was, gosh, I'm, I'm going to tell my age. So, in 99, <laughs> I graduated from college in May of 99 and I went to grad school. And my best friend from college and I went to the same grad school. I don't remember, obviously, I don't remember like the commercials mm. and the you know, promotion for it. But I just remember we have to see this movie together. Like we like planned, you know, uh, a friend date to go see this movie together. And we were in Ohio and there weren't that many. The theater was like halfway full, you know, but um, it was me and my friend. And I think we had another friend with us. Anyway, I just remember the moment that Morris Chestnut came on screen <laughs> and Malcolm, I think he also directed it, right? He, Malcolm mm, D. Lee. Yeah. So he knew what to do because as soon, like the first moment that Morris Chestnut comes on screen, he kind of stops. He like steps into this um, bar restaurant that they're meeting in. He steps into frame and he turns towards the camera and he smiles. <laughs> Every woman in that audience just <laughs> side and was just like oh my god like it was like you could hear everybody having a very strong reaction to him and I was just like that is direction right there that is that is what you do because he knew everybody loves Morris Chestnut's smile um and like he's just beautiful he has this incredible beautiful dark even skin he's just uh and then to see it up close like that on screen for like those few little seconds was so important to the audience. And I uh, just, it was delicious. So that's how I remember <laughs> stepping. That's Blair. my like 
main memory of watching The Best Man in the theater. And when the sequel came out, my friend and I, I made a special trip to uh. where she was living at the time so that we could see the sequel together to like to have this, you know, continuation uh. um for us in our friendship. And it was a packed house as like that mm-hmm. that was sold out. Like the yeah. sequel was completely sold out. Um but The Best Man, I just remember Going to see it, uh, I think I saw it twice in the theater. Like after I saw it with my friend, then I went back by myself, um, which is something that I used to do back when movies were affordable <laughs> and <laughs> there was not a pandemic. Yeah. But I would go to, you know, a, a midday matinee and see the movie um, and just kind of watch it without, you know, uh, anyone else around, basically. And it was just, it was so good. It was, I just, it's, um, it's a movie that I will watch probably like once a year. I can so get behind that. It's one of those things where like it feels good to be with these people. It does mm-hmm. feel like you are part of the group. And I think that speaks to the direction of it. As you mentioned, he knows how to introduce these characters, you know, and also he's, he's it's a it's a man who uh, from every assumption I have is heterosexual, but he's not afraid of showing men in a way that women want to see them. Whereas I think you yes. often don't get that in some other things that are written and directed by men. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I completely agree with that. And also Malcolm Dealey knows that he has a black audience that is going to react. Um, you know, we, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, sometimes it gets taken to a stereotypical level, but black people do react to stuff on screen. And so he knew when to pause to <laughs> let the audience like laugh or have their little, Oh no, you know, that kind of reaction um, to, to whatever was going on on screen. So like, that's something that as I've rewatched it over the years, I'm always very much in awe of in the way that he like holds space for audience reaction um, in his, in his directions. I I love best man holiday too. So when I watched (laughs) best man the other day, I was like, "Ah, I got to immediately just go into a double bill. Uh, And it's very interesting to see how he develops that and how I think different directors inform it because he'll add now like a music sting, <laughs> like a like there'll be like a cat going like row, row, and like a woman. It, it's a lot wackier, but it, it's interesting because it's not bad. It's just like a heightening, and you kind of see uh, what he realized from the first film to the second, uh, what what the audiences want out of it. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's it's totally true. And, and I also, I mean, I mean, when you're talking about Morris Chestnut and like the way he's filmed, I think this film and the, and the wood to an extent have a very smart thing where I think if Tay Diggs had have started his career with a white director, I think they would have been um, so obsessed with his looks and his blackness that they probably wouldn't have realized that he's like a good nerd. <laughs> like this guy is a nerd. <laughs> yeah. and, and this movie does such a good job of being like, Oh no, Morris Chestnut is the suave, cool guy. Tate Diggs is like a corny nerd theater kid. And I think that this movie just, it, it, it probably gave him more of a career because it allowed him to be what he's good at, you know, by having four attractive black men instead of just one attractive black man who has to hold the whole thing together in some sort of fake view of attractive black men. You talked a lot about uh, the men. How do we feel about the women in here? Now, my understanding is a lot of them were allowed to rewrite their own characters. <laughs> so you definitely have those words coming out of the mou- their mouths that would be things they would actually say in as those characters. Um, what do you guys think? 
so, you know, I think you have, you have all these archetypes, right? So Nia Long as Jordan was the career motivated woman who, um, because of that, didn't really have uh, anyone in her life, right? Um, so we had to see, and I actually had a lot of issues with that yeah. for a while. Sure. <laughs> um, the fact that, you know, she is ambitious and motivated and therefore punished by being single, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so then you have uh, Shelby, who was this total... Can we curse? Yeah, Go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> Shelby deserves a curse for sure. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Shelby, who was a total bitch, but she knew what she wanted and she knew how to like take control and she was in a relationship, right? right? She was in the relationship with Merch. Then you have Mia, who was the good girl, the good Christian girl who is about to get married to the football star um you know so that was like her reward and then robin who was uh flighty you know a little unsure she kept bouncing between what she wanted to do in her career but she was also in a relationship with hyper so she still like had like she still was involved with mm. someone. Um, and then we get Candy later, who is the stripper with a heart yeah. of gold. <laughs> she's, so- mo- she's mostly a punchline, kind of. Yeah, yeah she's yeah. She has yeah. more to do in the best yeah, man's holiday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also because at that point, Regina Hall's career <laughs> yes, had just gone kablam. You've got to get Regina Hall, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. So we've got all these women who are playing um, these particular types of archetypes. and um, But they were incredible. Nia Long was so good as Jordan and that slap mm-hmm. heard around the world. <laughs> Apparently she hit him so hard that you can kind of see Tay Diggs look over to the side because he thought they were going to call a cut. Yeah. Like she just whacked him. Yeah. yeah. The one I find very interesting and I think is very interestingly written is Robin that Sanal Lathan mm-hmm. is because she just gets such a unique um job at the end of the film she's gone for most of the movie but the fact that she kind of begrudgingly gets involved in this drama and that sort of uh i I just think that that's a lot better than you would expect from one of these movies the fact that that she has this complicated feeling in the third act and gets to sort of help out. Uh, it's very interesting. It, I, I kind of, she's a little underserved, but I, she does a lot of things that I would not have expected out of this movie. Yeah. Like she calls Harper out for like, um, why are you proposing to me? Mm-hmm. Why do you want to be with me now? Like, you know, I meant every word, every word I said about preserving what we have. And Harper, I don't think that this is the right time. We have a lot to talk about, and it's not going to be solved overnight. You know, sometimes uh, some men will solve the problems in their relationships by proposing <laughs> yes. instead of actually working <laughs> on, mm-hmm. on on the issues. Um, and so she calls him out about that, which was very surprising to me because she had been presented as this flighty person who didn't know herself, mm-hmm. didn't know what she wanted to do. Um, but she was also very like, I'm going to fight for myself. I'm going to fight for love. Uh, and, you know, a little bit of a, like, I'm going to fight for my man Damn. kind of thing, you know, but, um, but still again, it's, I'm the problems that I have with the women is again, <laughs> like this, this kind of like they get rewarded with the man. Yeah. And I know that that is ultimately the, the premise of all rom-coms, right? Yeah. It's just like, you go through all of this stuff, you go through all these hijinks to get to the happy ever after, 
But um, here we see that Jordan is still alone yeah. at the end and still rejected. And again, it is because she is the most like ambitious, professionally ambitious uh, of all of the women presented. So it yeah. just always, it just is always uh, hit a sour. And note if for she me. was the lead, you would be on her right. Like you would be on her side trying to get Tay Diggs. So it, it's kind of, right. it's tough that she is, uh, she's not doing anything too wrong. She's being like an honest adult. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. Going into the direction of this, like the, the tone, the fact that this has just such a light, fluffy tone, mm. but some of the stuff that happens, like, you know, yeah. at Morse Chestnut holding Tay Diggs over a balcony sure. and he's going to kill him, you know? And like just the, <laughs> the idea of, um, that you can cheat on your partner and then they cheat on you and that's the line. You know what I mean? Like that in in, an, in another movie could have been treated in a very different way than it is here. Here it's like forgive and forget, everything's okay. But in another movie that would be like, well, the marriage is over or the, the wedding yeah. is over before it started. Like it's interesting the way some things are just kind of fluffed up. Yeah. I, I do think that that is also where I think you see his uh... – his skills develop in uh, best man holiday. Cause I, I think mm-hmm. best man holiday is also a lot funnier because I think he knows how to balance that tone a little better. For instance, something like, like merch and Shelby, I think is hilarious, but the weird mm-hmm. thing is, is they're presenting pretty realistic relationships and for you to be like this over the top nightmare <laughs> woman. And it's lovely. Actually, I loved that you, you put a little video and it was very interesting to learn that Melissa D'Souza and Harold Perrineau had known each other since they were kids. So that's why they were willing to, push it and be so wild and i mean she steals every scene but but it is a little you're a little like uh, what do i do with this crazy couple in the middle of this situation well 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 the gang's all here back in effect break out the 40s uh, but it's kind of delightful in that way too, you know. And you never know. And like, I mean, the, I love the uh, the kind of like stripper wrangler fandango that shows yeah. up for one second from a totally different movie, <laughs> just to say two <laughs> lines, and you're like, "What is happening?" And sweet cheeks about to bring you something luscious and sugary. So allow me to introduce the flavor we call candy. But there's something about that that I'm kind of delighted by, too, you know? Can we speak as trippers? Can we talk about how great Regina Hall is in this? And then she shows up for, like, what, three and a half minutes and steals the whole movie? Mm-hmm. It's incredible. It is um, probably the first, like, when you start talking to people about the best band, it is probably the first out of top three scenes that they talk mm. about. And it is, I mean, she just... She was mesmerizing and it was just like, who is this and what is she doing? And we don't, no one faults Merch for his response at all. Mm, yes. <laughs> Merch has got a lot going on, but for that one moment, you're like, good for you, Merch. <laughs> like, you're yes, welcome. Merch, you're not supposed to touch, but that's okay. Uh, you sure. know, clearly she's given consent. That's fine. But uh, I love, there's this story about her auditioning where um, she didn't think she was going to get this. She drank a whole bottle of Elise. She walked in and all these women were doing like choreographed routines in the waiting room and she, she can't dance. And she was like, oh shit. So she walks in and she does her one move which is flip a chair around, sit on it, and smack her ass. And then she looked at them, and they were like, can you do anything else? And she was like, yes, thank you. And then she walked out and went to the car with her boyfriend and was like, well, not getting that. Let's go get lunch. And, of course, she got it based on that attitude because that's candy. And it was like, ugh. You hear those audition stories sometimes, and you're like, don't do that. Don't do that. But then every now and then it pays off and you get Regina Hall, right? Yeah. 
<laughs> and that's that's the confidence. Also, it's Alize, Becky. You're show, you're Is showing it your, you're showing your yes. uh, Canadianness. I'm 92. We call the leaves back in Alberta. <laughs> fair, fair. That's true. I did grow up there. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I do think that this is a very fascinating movie. And one thing, I mean, it's it's not really what we're talking about, but I also really going back to it. I, I think it's like a. Uh, a very subtle and beautiful portrayal of faith in a weird way. I know that it, some some of the male female relationship stuff you can be a little like I don't know, you know, the the perfection of my wife, blah, blah, blah. but I, I think especially compared to modern movies that seem to have gotten so ham fisted with it, it's just fascinating that this movie I think so subtly weaves in faith as a, as one of the things, and it kind of comes up. You know, when you think it would, <laughs> when you are really pressed, you talk about faith. Uh, and I, yeah, I, I, I just kind of miss that. Uh, now we have like faith based movies <laughs> that are uh, not quite the same thing. And it's just fascinating to see a mainstream hit uh, that I, that weaves it in so masterfully, I think. And it feels kind of like you were saying, like a golden age of Hollywood movie where they would have those moments uh, and not not sweat it. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, it's. I think, you know, one of the reasons that it's in there um, is because that it speaks to the specific type of person that Lance was, which is, um, and there are a lot of um, <laughs> hypocritical men who, who are very much a player, uh, but then they want their, you know, Virgin Mary wife. Um, and so we see how that plays out and why it's so. I don't know. I don't want to say destructive, but it can be, you know, um, uh, it can eat away at the core of a relationship, that hypocrisy. Um, so I think that that was handled very well. Um, and also it's just, um, you know, for a while you could not have a black movie without some sort of not to Christianity mm. in it. Um, uh, and so, like, in, in The Best Man Holiday, like, we really get, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, he really, like, pours it on. And then that's also part of the appeal for Tyler Perry. Yeah. Um, Who is not uh, as subtle with it and not as good with no, it. He is no, not, no, no. That's, I, I kind of feel like well. almost the Tyler Perry push in Best Man Holiday, where it's like, this is what movies are like now. You have to. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, something like Love Jones, which came out in 1997. Um, that was so refreshing because we did not have uh, a romance like that for a very long time. Mm -hmm. So for, you know, for that to come, you know, during this kind of like resurgence of black film uh, in Hollywood was very important. And also there is a lack of, of faith mm -hmm. <laughs> talk in, in the movie. Like these are just some young people making stupid decisions about their love lives as they try to figure out their careers um, and getting caught up with each other. And then no one's sitting there. We're like, let's pray yeah. for your man. You know, let's pray to, you know, th there's none of that in there. Um, and it was uh, beautiful. And, you know, I one last thing I'm going to say about Love Jones, because it's a, a little quibble <laughs> no. that I have. So, so many people put Love Jones on rom-com mm. lists, right? Because they think that there is such a dearth of Black rom-coms. Um, but one, there's not, and two, it's not a rom com. It's it's just a rom. It's a drama. Uh, it's a drama romance, yes. But it is not 
the comedy that's in it is not enough to consider it as part of a rom-com. Like there's, there's no, those, you know, ridiculous hijinks, there's no caper, yeah. there's no adventure, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Yes. Um, we need more capers. Are you familiar with the, the movie Love, Sex, and Eating the Bones? It's Canadian. No, I'm not. Uh, I feel like it, it might be something you should have on your radar. It's Sud Sutherland okay. and uh, his wife, Jennifer Holness, who is, they're both amazing filmmakers. Um, and it's a, a movie about um, someone who is addicted to porn. And then he, and his like, his dream girl, his porn star keeps showing up in like in all these, these sequences and stuff. But he meets a woman who he's actually in love with. And it's him trying to figure out how to actually be in love with a woman when he's been so involved with women in a different way. Um, and as you say that, it's like, yeah, it has these moments where it's quirky and there's like these super uh, dream like big set pieces when the porn star comes in on all that and these imaginary sequences. But at the core of it is this, um, this emotional drama, but there's romance because he's falling in love. And it's, it's really, it's such an interesting balance in, in these kinds of films where you're like, it could be seen as a rom-com because these set pieces, but is it a drama? Like what, what, yeah, where does it sit? It doesn't really sit anywhere. I think it's it's worth saying that I think I, I wonder now, again, having watched both of the best mans in a row, Malcolm D. Lee kind of maintains that he considers the best man more of a drama with comedic mm. light moments. I do think the best man holiday sort of hits more because it goes pretty wacky and then back. But yeah, it's interesting. There's a, this this battle. I, I think you looked up a few things, Becky, too, where like Malcolm D. Lee often is like this film was very inspired by the big chill. But then I think Tate Diggs felt very penned in by that and kind of hated that uh, idea that this is the black big chill. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a very interesting thing to say. Yeah. What is a rom-com? And I guess romances are always a little light, right? Like the, like the weird thing is, is except for like, I don't know, what's the one where they're both on the train? <laughs> like, like, re- <laughs> like real 40 stuff sometimes like is just pure. Yeah. Brief or, encounter. Yeah. That's it. It's like yeah. brief encounter. There's not much comedy, but, uh, otherwise they're all kind of light. you gotta, you gotta have the funniness, right? That's romance. Yeah. I think Tay Diggs response to like being resentful of the big chill comparisons, even though um, Malcolm D. Lee said it himself. Mm. I think that just comes from like, you know, this need for black things to stand in their own and not to always be compared to whiteness um, Mm. in order to like bring people in. The um, black blank. And also saying that it's meant for African-American audiences as opposed to like, Cam and I both really love this movie and we are very white. Yeah. Like it's, I think it's just saying that the, 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 that people outside of the African-American community won't enjoy this the same way. I think it's also two right. men starting their career. And as a writer director, you are not the, the escape velocity of your blackness is more available. Like Malcolm D. Lee could just direct a movie starring white people and that's it. Uh, Tay Diggs has to be a black man when he's on screen always you know unless he's in cloud Mm -hmm. atlas or some shit but it's like uh (laughs) it's uh i think i think yeah he's obviously more penned in starting his career in 1999 than malcolm d lee is even though malcolm d lee to his credit i think directed primarily black projects yeah you know and i wanted to go back to something that you said um cam Mm -hmm. because tay diggs when he is on um like white predominantly white television shows he is almost always cast as the suave lover man um who's very smooth he mm-hmm. is uh you know there to seduce everybody but when he is in primarily black cast he is yeah kind of nerdy he's a little um 
you know, out there, awkward and stuff like that. So it is very telling the way that um, these two different audiences and communities see him because even in something like brown sugar which comes a little after Mm. um the best man like he is a journalist uh again i guess he's just it's important for him to stay a writer Um, (laughs) (laughs) um um he's like this uh i is he a hip hop journalist uh something like that or like he writes yeah yeah and um, he's a little awkward mm. in, in that, you know, he's not, uh, especially smooth, um, in brown sugar. So that's just really, it, it stands out to me. Cause I'm thinking about when he's like, uh, he was on Alec McBeal, yeah. right? And Private practice he, was him, was it? Pri- yeah. Private practice. Yeah. He pops up on new girl, mm. uh, again, as this kind of like, yo- it was like a yoga guru, <laughs> yogi, just like, yeah. very flexible and he lets us see how flexible he is and that kind of thing so that's just really it's just really interesting to see um you know who sees him as what he was a soap opera actor right he was on guiding light which is why all these a lot of white women would have known him as this like suave very like uh you know Mm -hmm. debonair sort of guy yeah but i Mm -hmm. i think you you see him especially probably in la he's this uh he's from rent right like he's this theater kid (laughs) and and i mean uh God bless him. He's five foot ten. He's not a short king, but probably compared to Morris Chestnut and some of these other <laughs> guys he's up against, yeah. he's also the little guy. I think in both of these movies, he's he's among the shorter guys, so he's kind of got that energy. Well, ninety nine mm-hmm. is like a bonkers year for him because he's in Go, The Wood, The Best Man, and House on Haunted Hill, which we talked about earlier this season. Which he's a lead in all of those, mm-hmm. right? But he's playing pretty different roles in every single one. Like he's a total nerd too in The Wood, which we're about to get to, where you know he's barely functioning. Yeah, uh, he's got a lot of dr- drive and power in House on Haunted Hill. He survives, right? It's really interesting right. to see how they're they're also looking for where he fits in in Hollywood too. Um, and I just want to, I want to give a quick shout out to Terrence Howard's character, yes. Quentin, who is so messy and delightful <laughs> yes. in The Best Man. Like, it is really, I, I think uh, his character is, again, when you ask people, um, let's talk about The Best Man, mm. they immediately are going to talk about Quentin mm-hmm. and his messiness and how he was able to like, put two and two together and figure out things that he's just been holding on to this stuff to figure out, you know, when to drop yeah. the, this bomb on people and how he is delighting in the mess that is going on. Like he, he's so um, delighted by Murchie <laughs> yes. when Murchie uh, sees candy <laughs> for the first time. And he is delighted at the poker scene um, when they're all, you know, everybody is speaking in code about something, and Murchie has no idea what's going yeah. on. But, <laughs> but the other three men who are a little more sophisticated and also a little bit more like, um, um, I don't know, more ladies mm. men, I, I, I guess, and they have seen some things. They all know what's going on. So they're dropping this really, uh, like I said, all this coded, heavy innuendo um, until finally, like, Lance explodes um, and we see his temper. Um, but Quentin is so good. When he puts the, his introduction, when he puts the guitar behind his back, behind his head oh, yeah. to play. And you're like, this guy yes. gets a lot of ladies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I also love that he's, like, he is the perfect 
like asshole that you are still friends with because you're kind yeah. of tr- everybody's kind of like okay all right all right like we like to have this guy around the charming dick in a suit trope yeah yes 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 yeah and it's it's yes. very fascinating because yeah i mean obviously terrence howard from 99 to now is a very different figure but there's still yeah. that something he's got still got that something he's got that sparkle it's tough well, he also based his character on harold perrineau because he called harold per- harold perrineau slick he's like this man you have no idea he yeah. is slick and it's like really okay that's because that is not what you see but harold perrineau was so surprised by that he's like i don't am i like that yeah. i don't think so like it was very cute <laughs> all right with that having been said let's move on to our next fantastic ensemble of actors it's the wood coming up after the break Our second movie today could be seen as more of a coming-of-age story than a rom-com if you really want to get picky with it, but it is funny as hell. There is a wedding, and people are certainly, for better or for worse, falling in love. It also briefly unites Omar Epps and Sanal Lathan the year before Love and Basketball, like a little tease, and that pleases me to no end. It also, like our last movie, is getting a limited-run series in the next year, expanding on the stories the three buddies going through it. It was also promoted as an alternative viewing experience to a certain movie industry scandal that erupted in 2015. But we're going to get into that. Cam, this one is yours for the uh, plot summary. Sure, yes. Uh, The Wood uh, by Rick Famuyiwa is... uh, yeah, a, t- a coming of age story, but it's also it kind of just feels a bit more like a '90s movie because this is all about you know Omar Epps turning to the camera and talking to the <laughs> audience, classic '90s. Uh, it is uh, on a wedding day, uh, and the groom has gone missing, uh, and his uh, his friends uh, Mike and Slim, uh, played by Omar Epps and Richard T. Jones, uh, go to find him. Uh, he is Tay Diggs, uh, who who is Roland. He has gotten drunk and gone to his ex girlfriend's house. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and uh, in trying to get him ready and get him psyched for his wedding, which his friends seem to know is the, the right choice for him, uh, they go through uh, their life together and specifically Omar Epps, Mike, uh, his move from North Carolina into Inglewood uh, and and how that kind of changed his life and how their friendship was forged in various, uh, you know, relatable comedic situations and, and sometimes uh, eye-opening and surprising and cute ones. And on the way, there's a lot of chaos. There's barfing. There's... Uh, She's getting getting hosed down naked. You see butts in this one, which is that's uh, my f- you see yeah. more than butts, my friend. There is full frontal. <laughs> oh, I, I must have turned away for a moment. I uh, paused too demure. just to make sure. I'm, I'm doing I'm doing things for our audience just to make sure. You know, someone might not be into yeah. it. I need to let uh, them know. Uh, might not be. Come on. Uh, I, uh, anyway, it, it's a yeah, a cute coming of age. So it's half coming of age, losing your virginity, uh, going after girls, grabbing butts. Uh, and then half uh, goofy guys trying to get to the altar and uh, trying to uh, make sure that everything happens. Uh, you know, friendships. This is another movie that I watch um, at least once every other year or something like that because it's so rich and funny. Um, and it's all, it strikes me when I see uh, like the critical ratings, you know, on something like Rotten Tomatoes or whatever, and it has such a low score. Um, and it's just like, well, you know, what what exactly are you not mm. getting from from this? Because I think it's it's a 
great film. I I love it. I love the back and forth between, you know, the childhood stuff, uh, childhood adventures and the grown-up adventures. I I love that. That's one of my favorite parts of it. I think it's masterful that he's able to, and I, I'm with you. I actually like the fact you see the back and forth and that the, the continuity of these people is like, yeah, these are just slightly older, more, more jaded yes. versions of these kids, you know, who have been through more stuff. Um, I think it's masterful the way it jumps back and forth. And the fact that this is his debut feature is wild that you would be able to pull that off in your first go. And I mean, the fact that he's had the career he has, he's now a Star Wars guy. He does the Mandalorian and all that, which mm-hmm. is also extremely complex, says, oh, yeah, he was going to be something special just coming out with something like this yeah i, I he's also a uh, rick family is like, like an interesting guy because i think he he goes a bit more like the gina prince bythewood path where he is a guy who has had endless comebacks because he's very talented you know like I, I think that the industry has not always been that kind to him because i remember dope being seen as kind of a comeback and then uh i mean it's it's a he's probably glad it didn't happen but he was stuck on the flash for a long time and that that was a whole mess with warner brothers and i like now he's probably very happy but uh yeah (laughs) it, it seems like he's a man who produces mostly great films uh but there's these big gaps and it's it's kind of always you know it's one of those people that's probably working the whole time but to to an audience it seems like he's having these comebacks every once in a while and you're always like well where was this guy because he's 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 and he's a double threat you know malcolm dealey mostly just wrote best man uh, he writes almost every movie he does so that's also something else. He was young when he did this. He's like mm. 25, 26. And this is also a time when they were giving these like 24, 25, 26-year-olds yeah. money because they were making more independent films. We don't really do that now. Now you kind of have to finance your own movie. And then they're like, oh, now we're going to give you, you know, Jurassic World. Yeah. <laughs> like, we'll see how I mean, that goes. W- right. when we talk about uh, Malcolm D. Lee benefiting from uh, knowing Spike Lee and working under him and coming up, while they weren't connected, Rick Famuyiwa benefits a lot from uh, John Singleton, who was probably at the time the youngest director to helm a major feature and did very well. And then he also, I think, is in conversation with Singleton because The Wood is kind of the, uh, well, actually, to Boys in the Hood, <laughs> of like uh, mm-hmm. like Stacy, I think it's no, no mistake that that guy kind of looks like Ice Cube because he's like, <laughs> this is the silly ass real person that Ice Cube was trying to be. <laughs> I think it's, yeah, it's definitely speaking to the fact that there are a lot of different sides to Black Los Angeles Mm -hmm. and um, Inglewood. And I think, you know, this movie was trying to show that there was more to, um, like I said, Black LA Mm -hmm. than Boys in the Hood and Menace to Society and those kinds of things, which, um, you know, not to say one is more correct than the other but it is like there's more more to black los angeles than what you know a lot of people have seen and it's not it's either boys in the hood or fresh prince of bel-air and there's like something there's something (laughs) you know that's in between um all of that as well one of the things i've always wondered um because uh the writer director, his parents are Nigerian. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wondered if he originally wanted to make the, uh, you know, the character Mike, uh, not, you know, 
a Nigerian first generation, um, but maybe he needed to like soften that, and that's why Mike is from North Carolina. As a yeah, you know, some, I don't I don't know if he that's did. part. I, of, you know, I, I, I yeah, I, I I wondered that too because it's like you're trying to make him an outsider. But I did I like I dug deep enough because I'm like, tell me about this. But he did. Um, he grew up uh younger, mostly around the Bay Area, and then he did move to North Carolina for a couple years before he moved into uh L.A. So that is, yeah, yeah. It is interesting, though, because he does, and he identifies, uh, I think, quite deeply as, like, a second-generation, like, uh, Nigerian-American. So, yeah, it's interesting, because they don't touch on it that much in this movie. But uh, the North Carolina is real from his life, because, yeah, I was like, I I thought the same thing. I'm like, are you trying to say Nigeria? I don't know. (laughs) Well, his, quote-unquote, like, career path is actually really interesting, because he was going to um, USC for something else. Like, he was was just kind of dabbling. politics, I think, or something. For politics, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's clearly brilliant. He can do whatever he wants to do, right? But he wrote, he was taking a writing class for extra credit, and his teacher pulled him aside and was like, hey, I need to talk to you. And he's like, oh, what did I do wrong? And he says, you're really good at this. You should probably consider a career in this. And he was like, oh, oh, should I? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, and from that, like his, his first short that he made in, in his film school uh, got him into a bunch of um, film festivals, which got him picked up by the Sundance Lab, which got him the funding for this. So yeah. like that shows you someone I who's love, really, really good. Uh, his Sundance Lab story is it's just like truly somebody who respected him and his writing enough submitted it for him. He said he like got a, like Sundance was tracking him down. They couldn't find him because he didn't submit it. <laughs> they just knew this guy's uh. name and they're like, it was so good. And yeah, you can actually look up uh, on YouTube uh, blacktop lingo is his uh short film and it's great yeah and, and i think the other interesting thing is like i i never want to uh downplay malcolm d lee because i think you're right he he films stuff beautifully and especially his as an actor's director he's amazing but i think uh rick family the way he moves the camera is amazing this is like a lot more of an exciting director uh to see visually and then you see a lot of that in that short. He also doesn't get carried away with the nostalgia factor of the 80s. Like, like there's so yes. many ways that he could be like, oh, look, here's some cute things. Like, you know what? Strange, I will call it Stranger Things. Like sure. Stranger yes. Things does. It's yeah. like, look, they're dressed as Ghostbusters. How adorable. Do you know what I mean? Like he's very subtle with it, but it's very clearly of that time. And that's, I mean, both him and amazing set decoration and, and production design. Mm-hmm. Right, because that does get distracting after a while because you're pulled out of the action and and what's going on so that you can sit there and be like, oh, is that an authentic back to the future? You know, like whatever, those kinds of little things. Um, And that's, um, honestly, that's why I checked out of Stranger Things Mm. after the first season was because I was just like, they're just throwing all this shit from their childhood at us. I don't want to see this. Like, what's the point of this show? Mm. Anyway, so... um, <laughs> but I, um, the wood is so funny. Also, there's like this moment with um, Tamala Jones, who plays um, Roland's, uh, Tay Diggs' mm. character's ex girlfriend, and that's where he goes. Yes. Um, and, and so, and she is so funny. Yeah. She is hilarious. Um, she, she is also one of those actors that, uh, one of the black actors who has a long career, has been in so many different things, and maybe like, white america doesn't really know Mm. her um very well she was on the tv show castle as the um forensic Ah. you know the the forensic scientist the one who like gets the bodies and tells you oh she's been dead two hours or something like (laughs) Mm. that um i forget her title but um 
Um, but she's and she was also in um, this music video for Wu Tang, um, and it was just incredible in that. But anyway, she was so funny because when they come to collect Roland, and she, you know, is spraying them down <laughs> after they have thrown up everywhere. <laughs> she is hilarious, and she is also just so. Um, sweet yeah. and taking care of them even as she's like you're not gonna take advantage of of my kindness get out yes <laughs> oh hell no uh-uh nope 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 go just go get this shit away from the fuck is that smell but everybody like you're talking even about the smaller characters like the woman at the dry cleaner is so funny and she's yeah. just like you just oh pray gosh. for a yeah. miracle <laughs> yeah. um there's a church right down the street because it's going to take a prayer and a miracle to have this cleaned in an hour. Yes, she was actually um, one of the original characters from A Different World. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. Yes. Amazing. Yes, so there are a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of, you know, stars and, you know, up and coming and people that we were already, you know, very familiar with um, who were in, in the movie. And it's interesting because I lived in L.A. for a while and the guy who plays the young uh, Slim, the one who's like, what who's page so 45 funny. is on? Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, he, uh, at the time he was no longer working in Hollywood, but he owned this... Um, like mailbox, uh, oh, yeah. um, like a post office kind of thing. So that like, if you did not have a steady place to live, you could still just have like one address is one of those mm-hmm. kinds of situations. Um, and so he owned that. And I was using that when I first moved to LA and I was like, are you the guy from <laughs> yeah. the wood? Because, you know, like I watched that movie almost every And he year. looks just like and an adult was... version of that guy too, which is fascinating. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yes, he looks exactly the same. And I, you know, and he was like, yeah. And I was like, you didn't really do anything else after he just kind of shook his head. No. And I don't know. He looked a little sad, so I didn't press him on it. But <laughs> he looks like he's back. If you look at his IMDb now, he's got a, he's got a lot going on. So. Okay, yeah. good, good. This was a what? This was like. 2006 i think Listen, when i you make good money with those post office stores so he's probably yeah probably buy and sell me yeah (laughs) yeah he's yeah he's good smart um now you mentioned being really excited to go and see the best man was this the same deal with the wood like did you have a friend date how did that kind of work out uh but i don't remember like the promotions or anything like that but i just remember being like oh i definitely want to see this because of who is in it you know it was Tay Diggs. Um, so you have Tay Diggs, of course, Omar Epps, Richard T. Jones, who should be more famous than what he yeah, is. Yeah, I was going to say, that is also, you see the, like, whiteness of Hollywood. Richard T. Jones is a cop and everything. <laughs> That's about it. Like, I, he yeah. works steady, but he is always a cop. He is always the governor. He is always whatever. But he's so funny in this. But it's just, He's hilarious. I just don't think that, yeah, like, and then the problem is, I think a guy who looks like him, again, it's like he's got that kind of Morris Chestnut look, uh, they mm-hmm. can only see that guy as a heavy, as, uh, and especially in a comedy, you'd probably run into stereotypes, right? Like, if they're offering him a comedic role written by a white person, it's probably going to be something he does not want to play <laughs> to be polite. Right, and... Um, and I think a lot of people know him um, from Tyler Perry's Why Did I Get Married, uh, those movies, because he plays uh, uh, one of the husbands on there who is no good. Um, but he always has this really 
dry delivery mm. this, uh, of like of his jokes that just makes everything just I don't know instantly funnier. And then Sanai Lathan, we don't really see her as much mm. um, as the adult Alicia, but um, at this point, again, it's just like we've seen all of these actors in so many different things, or, you know, like at least Black America yeah. has. So it's just like, okay, we're sold. And we didn't and still don't really get that many coming of age movies um, in Black America that are not trauma based, mm-hmm. that it was so refreshing to see. Let's just see some black teenagers fall in love like we we still don't get that even you know 30 years later or how how i don't know how long has it been What's, let's not let's not think about it there's even moments here like tonally where this yeah. could have gone deep into that like when they're pulled over by the police officers i was just like <gasps> like please yeah. don't let this go where it's going but it ends up being like uh, uh, he turns it into a funny moment and mm. it's like oh thank god that that's you know where we went and then i'm still able to kind of be along with the hijinks but he's taking a lot of this stuff from uh, rick famuyiwa is taking a lot of this from his own life like the um, convenience store thing he was actually in a convenience store holding his chips and pop when it got <laughs> held up. And the whole time he's like, should I walk out? Like, what do I do? If I walk out, I have stolen these things. And that's mm. where his head went to is he couldn't stop thinking, I will have stolen these things. And apparently the guy who was holding it up just like nodded him out. So he left. Mm. But like that actually happened to him. So it's one of those things where it's like, how incredible to then turn that into this experience here that then becomes funny. And then you've added it in. And like, it's, it's just such a neat way to interpret your own experiences. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think that when there, there was a great interview with him, you sent along where it's like he talks a lot about identity and he said that, yeah, just, just his experience. He's like a lot of what you hear about Inglewood, it was there, but you, my experience was very different. And, and also saying that to him, it, yeah, it was just like a middle class community where sometimes there was stick ups and there were bloods, but it didn't really didn't really wasn't really a part of his life and i think that that's i think he's also just making fun of everything really like i think why it's charming is he's like teenage boys are stupid <laughs> all yeah. teenage boys are stupid you know well, and yeah. the, the conversations that the girls have here are really specific the the thing mm. like there was repercussions that she, he grabs her ass like yeah. and that that's not okay and he realized it's not okay and the fact that he doesn't you know go ta- kiss and tell when he does mm. sleep with her things like that so you're like this is a really interesting look at these kids who are have a great moral center mm-hmm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And even in the um, present day version, when um, the wife is played by Lisa Ray, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and she's or the bride, I should say, um, and she's like cussing him out for leaving and disappearing, and then we have to, di- you know, with the family and stuff like that. So I think overall, it's just really well done. Like the the fun stuff happens in the flashbacks mm-hmm. to the eighties or whatever. But even the present day stuff is fun and also um, juicy and real and just a a delight. So I think, I don't know, for people who want one or the other, I think they're just missing, they miss out so much, you know? I mean, these are two movies too where I think you're like, yeah, they're romantic comedies, but in the way where like this one, the romance is like weird because it's it's kind of like what will be after the film ends. And and the other one, the comedy is just kind of like, yeah, life is comedic, you know? It's, it, it is what it is. But yeah, I, I, I really like it. And I do think, Becky, that you were, you were kind of pointing out too that this movie was being developed at the Sundance Lab probably around the same time as Love and Basketball. Uh, and I think that you get 
part of why the romance works so well is yeah you're like Sanaa Lathan isn't much in this but I think you feel that chemistry between her and Omar Epps that they've been developing and I also wonder how much because it's also a very tender and beautiful loss of virginity scene like love and basketball and I'm like I wonder how if there was conversations and stuff because it's like these films are almost in conversation in that the fact that there's such an unusually tender and beautiful and kind of and almost sexy condoms. yeah there's and condoms, condoms true yeah, yeah. Those, but co- right? condom yeah. comedy is classic baby yeah. <laughs> gotta gotta find a condom that's been around since the 1950s but yeah that's that's also i think just such a both a beautifully shot scene and wacky stuff like i love when she sits up in bed realizing stacy's come home beautiful camera moves <laughs> <laughs> well as i mentioned before this was uh tied in with the oscar so white scandal so april rain who's the one who pointed that out in 2015 that there wasn't a single african-american uh in any of the major categories which is insane um she uh was offering alternative films to watch instead of this and this was the one she suggested specifically she said watch the wood live tweet it that's what she did um and she's like this is we're showing uh great performances from african-americans that may have been overlooked and as you mentioned like the reviews of this were a lot of people didn't necessarily get it who were you know the typical white male critics but it's these revisitings of the revisiting of these films that you're like these things are great and like obviously this person has now proven themselves that he is an incredible filmmaker you know go back and look at these these betrayals because they are more than worth it mm-hmm. i just um and you know i don't know why it didn't perform as well as it could have in the movie theaters i remember that as well and i think um maybe it's uh the lack of advertising uh lack of proper marketing and that kind of thing was you know the story there so there are some people who have no knowledge of this movie and i'm just like how could you not <laughs> um but it is it is disappointing to see um, the way that certain black films are just kind of like um, pushed to the side. And it is something that I've seen now that social media is uh, more of a prominent thing where people think, oh, well, you have 1.5 million followers. We don't need to pay marketing. You could just tweet. You yeah. could just post on your Instagram and that should be enough for you. Well, it's not enough, you know, in the same way that you had billboards and commercials and all of this kind of stuff, uh, radio spots, um, you know, we need all of those things still because followers mean nothing. Mm. And I think anyone need a marketing campaign for Thor Love and Thunder? We know it's coming. We've known it's been coming for years and yet there's billboards everywhere, right? Exactly. Exactly. And the same with like, as we were talking earlier, Stranger Things. Mm. We we know that (laughs) we know what this is. Mm. You don't have to like so much advertising about (laughs) stranger things um but that doesn't happen with black film Mm. uh, to a lot because they think oh well you're black you're gonna talk to each other and then everybody will just go and see it (laughs) also what else are you gonna go watch you know like you have so few (laughs) options go ahead Yeah. yeah um so i think that's what happened with the wood um and i and I do remember watching it more like on cable mm-hmm. um, and seeing it pop up on like TNT a lot. I think, um, you know, one of those kinds of stations that plays like movies over True. and over again. Um, but, you know, it's always like chopped all up because of commercials. And yeah. Stuff. And- <laughs> um, so, yeah. So I think, you know, it just um, it does a disservice when and it just it 
does that loop thing, right? We're like, we're not going to advertise it or we're not going to market it very well. Oh no, I can't believe this didn't do well. I guess we're not going to buy, you know, any more black films. Yeah. And it's like, well, if you had put something into it, it would have done well because it's a very good movie. Especially um, in the late 90s. We talked yeah. with uh, Tanana Reeve Dew about Galaxy Quest and that, mo- that movie, Jeffrey Kastenberg has apologized for not marketing it and making it a bigger thing. And he was correct. Like that movie yeah. is incredible. And the same thing's kind of here. So the difference between this movie, this movie came out three months before The Best Man and The Best Man actually did get a marketing push although not in the same way that a lot of cast members would have wanted but they were playing trailers during Ally McBeal and ER which were the two biggest shows at that time Mm -hmm. and that would have been the audiences that would have gone to see these movies so that was happening with that one which is why I think there's there's more um, awareness of The Best Man versus Mm -hmm. this one because that marketing push you're right didn't happen in the same way. I think this one is a little more probably considered a little more of an independent film too even though it's like an MTV films their kind of thing was partnering and and promoting uh, what was considered smaller movies. And I will say they're fairly comparable in original box office. It's this one cost 6 million and made 25 best man cost nine and made 35. So it's not too far up, but yeah, I I think you're absolutely right about the kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. And that's, when when you hear what they, these studios are like, well, you know, they don't play overseas or whatever, that's, I think a lot of people have pointed out again and again, and especially these days, that that's not true. <laughs> and it's uh, your own fault. <laughs> and same thing with like, these aren't stars. It's like, okay, treat them like stars and they're stars. That's it. That's all it takes is being exactly. like, this person is a star. Uh, and yeah, it's it's just, but even before these films came out, you know, Eddie Murphy could open a film overseas and make a lot of money. Uh, Martin Lawrence could do it. So Will Smith could do it. So so why, you know, if you if you suddenly decided that uh, somebody like Tay Diggs is in all these movies was a star, you can work with it. It's it's uh, very frustrating, and it's frustrating that it does not seem like the uh, especially for the that idea of international. Uh, the needle hasn't moved, and, and there can be a million Black Panthers and, and Creeds. And it doesn't move, uh, which the hope is, I guess, that, uh, you know, that there are enough black-led companies that can uh, just uh, push the white companies out of the way and then show <laughs> what's up. Uh, but yeah, I, but it, it, it does take somebody like, at the time, MTV Films, this is kind of their first play into that market. And they did uh, support a lot of uh, black filmmakers and black films for a long time. But now they're mm-hmm. kind of dead. So... That was also like the the Beyonce uh, reimagining of Carmen, mm. right? Yeah. That was from MTV. Yeah, and, and, and uh, MTV was taking a lot of chances the, at that point. On like election yeah. is there the same year as this? Things like that. Uh, being John Malkovich, same year. A lot kind of, of the big um, comedy, uh, like uh, original Kings of Comedy, Run Tell That, uh, Fighting Temptations, that, that kind of stuff mm-hmm. was all MTV. Interestingly, Coach Carter, you know, they they did. Mm. Uh, for a, for a long time, they were in the, the game of black Lead film. But I, I think that just as MTV slowly gets choked out of life, now it's just Jackass yeah. Forever, you know? <laughs> All right. On that note, Jackass Forever, we're going to end this episode. So I want to thank Nicole for joining us. Thank you so much, Nicole. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, anytime we get to talk about movies, it's a good time. Uh, tell people where they can hear you talk and write and do all sorts of things about movies and other things. 
Oh my gosh, my social media handle is uh, at Tennessee Whiskey Woman. That is T N Whiskey with an E Woman. Uh, my website is NicolePerkins.com, and that is N I C H O L E P E R K I N S dot com. Uh, please don't forget the H. And um, I have a podcast called This Is Good For You, uh, available wherever you get your podcasts, right? Um, and that is about. Uh, I talk to people about the pleasures that they have in life, the things that they are doing that they don't feel pressured to monetize. It's just the joy, uh, you know, to feel good. Because uh, I think we, you know, we got to this position where we said, you know, it's okay not to be okay, but what if it's okay to do something <laughs> that feels good just for you? Yeah. <laughs> um, and what do you uh, do? So, Perhaps that might work for somebody yeah. else. You know? Yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. And I have some books that people can buy. Uh, my memoir is called Sometimes I Trip on How Happy We Could Be. I have a poetry book called Lilith But dark. Um, I'm in a recent anthology called Sex and the Single Woman. Um, and then also another anthology called A Measure of Belonging, um, which is about writers of color on the new American South. So I'm I'm in I'm in some places. <laughs> you, are, you can you can, you can, you can be found. You can find me. Yeah, they can find you. <laughs> and Cameron Maitland, thank you so much for joining us once again, as usual. Uh, thanks for having me. I just wanted to shout out uh, both Richard T. Jones and Tamala Jones are set to uh, appear as their characters in the The Wood TV show. So yay! they're back. Oh, yay. Oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> that's good. That's going to be Showcase. The other one yeah. is po- uh, Peacock. Showtime. This one's showtime. Be show- showtime. That's it in the States. A showcase yeah. here is Showtime there. Yeah. Oh, you lucky <laughs> bastards. Anyway. <laughs> All right. And you can join us in two weeks where, you know what? Let's look at more Tay Diggs. It's The House on Haunted Hill and The Haunting. And we're going to be joined by Dread Central's very own Josh Corngut. That's coming up in two weeks. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the A Year in Film podcast from Hollywood Suite. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to rate and review us on your podcast platform. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Hollywood Suite. Hollywood Suite is the home of the movies and the series that shaped the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Always uncut and always commercial-free, Hollywood Suite lets you experience movies the way they were meant to be seen. On four HD channels and Hollywood Suite On Demand. Subscribe today at HollywoodSuite.ca. The A Year in Film podcast is hosted by Becky Shrimpton and produced by Becky Shrimpton, Alicia Fletcher, and Cameron Maitland. Today's episode featured Cameron Maitland and Nicole Perkins as guests. Supervising producer is Emily Gagne. Executive producers are David Kynes and Julie Kumaria. Audio engineering by Andy Reid. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.